Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Just before we start this week's show, just to let you know that halfway through this week's recording, we had a very slight issue um, with the recording quality of one of our guests. So the sound quality just changes slightly for, for just a few minutes, and then it does come back. So hopefully you'll bear with us and enjoy the show. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And not joining me this week is Ian Morris, but in his considerably sized shoes, it's CNET.com senior editor, Andrew Hoyle. Hello there. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Oh, it's great fun being inside these massive shoes of Ian's. I don't know why he needs them this size. I mean, what? this is the size of a, of, a, of, a, of a house in the Peak District. It raises the question of why he needs a shoehorn at all. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, Ian is out of action, unfortunately, this week. So Andy's done us the great honour of joining us from what is essentially uh, a weekend away. So thanks very much, Andy. We didn't want to go another week without a show. Um, last week, we had our Japan special with my wife. I hope everyone who listened to that enjoyed it. it had some really great feedback on that. So thank you. Um, and we'll hopefully be resuming our usual programming with Ian next week. Uh, but nonetheless, thank you to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com slash UK tech. If you're a patron, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free versions, which includes additional stories, live streaming usually, and access to our Discord members club, amongst other things, head to patreon.com slash uktech to find out how you can support us with no commitment. We'd love you to give us a try, even just for a month. Now, we have to start with the elephant in the room here. A bit of a sad story. Everyone knows about this, but we can't not talk about it. Stephen Hawking, the British physicist and author of A Brief History of Time, amongst other incredible works, has passed away at the age of 76. Um, he was. A, this is a quote um, from his, uh, I think a statement from his family. He says, he was a great scientist and an extraordinary man whose work and legacy will live on for many years. His courage and persistence with his brilliance and humour inspired people across the world. He won said it would not be much of a universe if it wasn't home to people you love we'll miss him forever um very sad news this andy i mean a long time coming in a sense doctors gave him a very short amount of time to live after he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and he sort of defied all the odds to to live to the ripe old age of 76 uh, where he died in cambridge um according to his family um a great guy andy very inspirational to me personally what about you yeah, very, very much so. Um, as he is, I think, to to everyone in the in the science and technology world, and and I'm sure I'm sure fields uh, much much further than that as well. Um, he he's done incredibly well considering the um, sort of the, the scale of, of his illness um, to reach the age that he has done, um, and achieved so many things um, along the way. I mean, I know that you 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 met him personally. Um, uh, it was something I was I was hoping to do myself. Uh, obviously, no longer possible. But I know that you um, count yourself in a uh, a very proud number of people who who have been able to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I met him a few years ago at the, I think it was at the Royal Society. There was a presentation for something I was covering for Wired at the time. Um, and Stephen was there. He was giving a, a, a brief talk um, at the time. And afterwards, when everyone was leaving, I did. I got a chance to meet him. And I, I was... It was one of those moments where I was genuinely speechless. Um, it very rarely happens. I always seem to have something to say. Um, but I, I have absolutely no... At the time, I remember having absolutely no idea what to say because I wasn't actually expecting to meet him. I just remember thanking him. Um, it's the only thing that came into my head was to thank him uh, because it was because of him. And, you know, when I was in my teens, I got very into science, um, almost went into studying astrophysics instead of becoming a journalist. Um, and it was all because of him. And, and you know, I have many of his books. And uh, I just remember saying thank you. Uh, and then I said something else, which I completely forgot. But I, whatever it was that I'd said, he replied with the word yes. So okay. I, I, but it took about. Was it, was it? Are you Stephen Hawking? No, it wasn't. It was nothing as frivolous as that. Okay. Um, but but um, I'm sure whatever it was was highly insightful. But he was in. Uh, he appeared in Futurama. He appeared in The Simpsons. He was a big fan of The Simpsons and Matt Groening's yes. work. And I think those appearances really kind of underscored his his great sense of humor. You know, despite dealing with um, an incredibly unfortunate illness. Um, he he sort of still managed to treat life with a, a great degree of humor and and fun and i think that that in itself is is inspirational to be honest i would love to think i could retain that level of humor um and positivity if i was in a situation that he'd been in for so many years absolutely yeah it's uh yeah inspirational Absolutely. Well, um, if anybody hasn't heard about this, I'm sorry to be the one to break the news to you, but there are, of course, some fantastic obituaries online. Um, Wired did a fantastic one by Jao Medeiros. I highly recommend reading that. He uh, is a friend of mine, obviously, from when I was at Wired, but um, he actually spent quite a great deal of time with uh, with Stephen over the years, particularly during one time when he was writing a feature about him uh, as a cover story. So I'd, I definitely recommend that above others, but there are plenty. And uh, if you have any, any memories of uh, Stephen Hawking any favorite works of his or, or any reasons why it inspired he inspired you do let us know we'd love to hear some examples for next week's show hello at techpodcast.uk well andy government plans to force adult websites to put up age verification barriers have been delayed following warnings that such a database could pose privacy and security risks this is according to v3 this week as part of the Digital Economy Act, the UK government is forcing commercial porn websites to have a robust age verification system to ensure that visitors are over the age of 18 before they can access any smut. And the new age checks were supposed to go live in April. But these concerns have been raised around the implementation of these checks and the risk that essentially such checks could involve third-party verification and if the data was somehow compromised on behalf of adults it could be extremely embarrassing to have you know a large database of adults who've been registered uh, or, or had to prove their age somehow in order to access a, a very wide range of pornography sites so um, the goal wasn't to do that as such. It wasn't to embarrass adults, but that's the risk. The goal was, of course, to safeguard kids and, and keep them away from pornography. Um, and the DC, uh, the uh, sorry, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport has said that the checks will still be implemented later this year. So we're, it's it's a pause. It's not a, a kill. Um, 
Andy, I have to turn to you initially for for your for your thoughts on age verification. Um, but rather than answer my own question, which is something I often tend to do on this show, um, what are your views in general on age gates? It's tricky because I, I, I am completely on the fence, the fence of the gates, um, as it were. Um, in that, I totally appreciate that they are important and that protecting uh, protecting children from seeing things that they simply shouldn't be seeing um is important um what i don't know is how to do them and clearly the ways that we've used so far um uh simply are in the old ways i don't know if that's still a case where simply putting in credit card details um was itself the even if it wasn't paid was this was the was, was the age verification um certainly anything that could potentially uh, cause a security risk to adults which is um uh, what they're what they're discussing now um, is definitely the wrong way um, around it when they're talking about using third-party services, third-party, um, you know, there'd be, there'd be external servers where this information is being held, there'd be um, various bits of information about um, these adults using these services scattered who knows where on the internet, um, does not seem like a safe um, or a suitable option. Um, that said, I don't know what is. There's definitely been a precedent as well for these kind of leaks happening and the embarrassment that they can cause being made very, very apparent. I think the most notable example would be the Ashley Madison leaks um, a few years ago, you know, where there were it was for extramarital affairs. And there were many people who had their details released into the public uh, as a result of a hack. And these are, you know, married individuals who um, almost certainly would not like their use of such a service to be put out into the public domain even even if there was some plausible deniability and they were not signing up to this site in order to have an extramarital affair although i imagine those numbers are few and far between um it's just embarrassing to have to battle that um and i don't see any reason why that couldn't happen with pornography websites and part of me wonders whether something like ashley madison leaks actually would be worse than a porn site because i don't know i get the impression that if you were married in fact i am married and i said to my wife uh, i've registered or she found out that i'd registered for a pornography site i don't think she'd be anywhere near as bothered as if i registered for an extramarital affairs website no of course those two are very very different things and we we live in an age where um where where porn is commonplace access to porn is commonplace and discussion around those things no longer come with anything like the same level of, uh, uh, you know, sort of sniggering behind hands um, as as it once did, um, and that's and that's partly because it is just pretty much ubiquitous. Um, whether that's a good thing or not is not what I'm I'm, I'm not discussing here. But it's it, um, but certainly I, I think that people being having people's details being shown to be accessing porn as a whole concept is not necessarily embarrassing. What some people would find, I mean. Some people would find that embarrassing, but particularly some people with more, certainly more niche interests um, uh, or, or private um, interests that um, that perhaps friends and family don't know about, um, uh, could be could be certainly extremely damaging. Um, if if the if these checks uh, do take different websites into account, I don't know whether this is a one service where it is just do you want the porn, yes or no, or do, or is it a case of uh, you know website by website access. Um, because I, I believe that there have been leaks on on 
um, uh, various gay porn websites that have um, inadvertently outed some of its users when when they've been found to be accessing um, gay porn when their their friends' family and in some cases even their spouses believe themselves to be um, to be straight and those are very very um, concerning issues where it is very much ruining lives. Um, I, I would hazard a guess that for the most part, people just being having access to porn generally is would not be ruining lives but there may be people who who write in and say well actually no if i found that or if my wife found or my husband found that i was on porn then it actually would be very damaging to their relationship i don't know but um i think any any measures that could potentially be leaked that could potentially be um, exposed in this way is not a safe option but we live in an age where any information on the internet is potentially open like that. There, there, there are very few ways of handling these things. It is completely foolproof. We've seen that with any services, from porn sites to extramarital affairs sites, banks, whatever. Anything can have these leaks, and they do. And, and that's something that we need to be constantly aware of. And I do wonder whether there's a little bit of a double standard when it comes to pornography versus, say, video games. Because at the moment, and and for many years now, video games have had to have age gates um, where you just have to put in your date of birth in order to access a website. And this is to prevent underage, uh, you know, younger people who are too young to play the game in question. You know, if the games are sort of for 16-year-olds, it's to prevent you from seeing that when you're 13. But we're talking, you know, any child wishing to view that material can very easily just say they were born in 1970. Goodness knows I always used to back in the day. Um, And and can get immediate access to, you know, extremely violent videos of chainsaws through the face and um, all kinds of unpleasantness that uh, is rife in in video games. Uh, Not because... Of course, those those checks they they protect the website, not the viewer. They're there to say to the website, "Well, they said they were old enough. That's not our fault." So that that's only there for their benefit, but it doesn't protect the person from viewing it. No, and it does make you wonder whether the the knock on effect would be adults are too afraid to register themselves as being old enough to view material, and and in a way, you know, pornography isn't illegal. And there's nothing no, inherently, not. you know, there's there's nothing wrong in that sense in an in an adult wanting to view pornography, but if you taboo to to give it a taboo sense around it, like with an age gate and you have to prove it, like that would put a lot of people off, and I don't think that's great. I don't think that's good. No. Well, if you have any thoughts on pornography age gates and what could be a good way of implementing them, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. And if you actually know of any countries that have implemented these successfully and would like to give us some examples for us to pass on to the government and pass off as our own ideas they're also very welcome at hello at techpodcast.uk Well, just as I was flying off to Japan, Mobile World Congress was happening in Barcelona. Andy was there with the the CNET force. Uh, We did talk about a couple of the sort of top-line announcements from the show before we went away, the Samsung Galaxy S9 and also the new banana phone from Nokia. So we're going to put those to one side and pick out a couple of other things that Andy had highlighted uh, that might be worth us talking about. They may have slipped under the radar a little bit, but we wanted to expose for the intrigue that they hold within. Uh, The first is this Vivo concept phone. Now, this is an audio-only podcast, Andy, so you're going to have to describe this to us. What is the Vivo concept phone and why are we talking about it? Well, it's a phone. So 
first and foremost, it's a rectangle. But this one is particularly cool because they have, um, in order to make the, the screen completely dominate the front of the phone, like there is a waste of thin bezel um, on, on pretty much every edge, they've done some pretty cool things. So for one, one of the things that, that on like the iPhone X with Apple's notch, that notch is there for the front-facing camera. That is instead built physically into the top edge of the phone. When you want to take a selfie, this camera sort of slowly slides out of the top of the phone, which looks really kind of neat. Um, whether it's any better or not, I don't know, but it, it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, now, the other thing as well is that the uh, the screen itself becomes a speaker, both for phone calls and for loudspeaker, and it seems to do both really, really well. When you literally listen to someone talking on the phone, you wouldn't know that it isn't just a regular speaker um, in the top like normal. It And simply when you want a loudspeaker, this thing is loud. The whole screen uh, effectively vibrates with it, although you wouldn't feel it. You can't. It w- doesn't rumble across the table. I'm not quite sure how they do it, but um, it does seem to work really well. The third cool thing is that there are fingerprint scanners built into the display itself. So rather than having to have like a home button at the bottom or use Face ID or anything like that, uh, the fingerprint scanner is built into the screen. But it also it supports two fingerprints at once. So if you want to double the security, you have not one but two fingerprints. Uh, that you need to press down um, on the front to access the phone. Um, so it just looks really cool. This is just a, seems like the sort of thing where they're taking this sort of concept tech, in-screen fingerprint scanning. Um, the camera thing's a little bit weird, and to be honest, it looks like the first thing that will break on that phone, the first time you leave the phone with the camera up and it just gets snapped off. Um, but it's just doing something a little bit different, particularly in a period of time where, yes, smartphones are really powerful, but they're all pretty much the same. But this looks a little bit different, and it's just a bit quirky, and we'll probably never see it on sale, but it's just a bit of fun. Well, I mean, apparently it is going to be on sale, and that that was the reason that I I, I thought it would be worth talking about, is that there were reports that they're going to put this into production later this year, which would suggest an availability next year. And we've seen that from many manufacturers time and time again, but, um, you know... It, it's whether we see it on sale in its exact iteration as we saw it or it could be that they take some of those things um i really don't know i actually wouldn't want to buy a phone that has that camera that slides up like that it really it, it just looks like a liability it really does um i wouldn't i wouldn't trust it i think that there's a, a different compromise to be made there yeah, and the, and the model is called the Apex, and the company is called Vivo or Vivo, which is a Chinese uh, manufacturer that I'd never heard of before now. And yeah. it could well be that this is one of those designs where another manufacturer sees it and rather reversing the tables on what China often does best, actually copy them and yeah. take this as a, as a bit of an inspiration of how to do this. I agree with the pop-up selfie. That's going to be the first thing that breaks because phones like this that have moving parts, it's never a recipe for complete bulletproof functionality, is it? There's always... No, it's not. I suspect it means it'll have to do away with things like waterproofing and certainly any dust that gets inside there. I mean, Christ, I've had to get tiny little pins to get um, dust out of uh, the charging port on my iPhone so that the cable can go in properly. Um, You try doing that on a slidey-up camera unit. I think it... I, I, I just would not trust it. And the price this is surely going to be because this is this is cutting edge technology that isn't inside any any other phone. It's almost certainly going to come with a with a pretty fair premium, even given Vivo's usual um, sort of cut price um, area. I think this would be 
uh, certainly on the much more expensive side of things. Um, whether you want to invest that sort of money with something that could potentially be a little bit flimsy, that's up to you, I suppose. But for my money, I'd go with something a little bit more robust. Well, speaking of robustness, the other device that I wanted to flag is the Cat S61, uh, which sadly is not uh, a feline animal, uh, but on the other hand, is a phone with a thermal imaging camera on the inside. Now, Andy, we knew about this phone, I think, maybe back in February or a little earlier in the year, but you seem to have managed to take one around MWC and take photographs with this in thermal mode. Can you explain... Why? What is? Who's this product for, and how does this thermal imaging work? Well, first of all, this isn't the first um, uh, the first th- uh, thermal imaging phone. The Cat S60 that they launched at MWC last year is the first one that had the tech in um, at all. It's actually provided by a company called FLIR, who make thermal imaging um, uh, for professionals. But they also do a, um, a unit that clips onto an iPhone if you want to give your iPhone some thermal imaging um, skills, which is, which is kind of neat. Um, but this phone is it's for it's for builders, plumbers, it's for the tradesmen. So one of the best examples you can really uh, imagine with this phone is if you're a, uh, a plumber and you're maybe installing networks of pipes in a, in a building or you're checking them, and there's a blockage somewhere. This allows you to fire up the thermal and actually have a look at sort of the water flow um, of pipes around, and you can get a very, very good look of where the heat is or where the, where the cold is um, to be able to see where those blockages are. And that's normally something that previously you'd need pretty high-end um, thermal imaging equipment in, but having it in something that any, any plumber could have as, as his main phone or her main phone in the back of their pocket um, is, I think, makes it a very, very useful tool. Um, but, yeah, of course, as far as, like, as the general consumers are concerned, this is just a really cool opportunity to go around and see everyday objects and see the heat map they give off. Yeah, so, I think my favourite example of this is, uh, has got to be the coffee. So Andy took a picture of a latte in, a, in, in his gallery here, and it's interesting just to see the kind of how the heat dissipates through the cup into the saucer uh, and, and whereabouts in the cup the water appears to be hottest. It's yeah. a very interesting interesting sight. Also, by the looks of it, took some photographs of some dogs. Um, yeah, there was a dog I found as well. I made a point of finding a dog. But the, I, what I found in, interesting as well is because I had two Galaxy S9s, which I was testing, and I put one, I put them both face down on the table for about five minutes, and then I carefully um, put one of them to run the Geekbench 4 benchmark test, which is obviously very, very processor-intensive. So I got to take this, this photo side-by-side of one phone, which looks very cold and one which is sort of glowing yellow with with a lot more heat and um, this is purely because one of them is actually doing something so it's really cool to see sort of a difference in heat when they're actually in um, sort of high demand use like that um but you can i use my finger to sort of write on a bit of wall um, by sort of rubbing the faint outline of the cnet logo and then took a photo in thermal to the naked eye that's just completely standard wall there's nothing there at all but in thermal mode you see the heat trace left behind of where i'd um of where i'd made uh, made my drawing um which is fun i may have also drawn something rude but i didn't include that in my gallery i see well we'll include a link to uh, to this gallery in the show notes if you go to techpodcast.uk look for episode 129 um or if you're in a 
more capable podcast listening device um, you should find the link in the embedded show notes there it's definitely worth having a look at some of these it's picture four in this gallery that's uh, that's got the two samsung galaxy phones andy mentioned and uh, picture i think eight or nine maybe not too much further is the picture of the the latte all well worth looking at um over there at cnet.com Well, owners of Amazon's own brand power bank chargers. Uh, this is a category of people that rarely get airtime on text message, but here's your lucky day because you lovely people have unfortunately had to be contacted by the firm and been told to stop using them. This is according to the BBC this week. That's because Amazon has recalled six models of its Amazon Basics branded product. Um, this was announced in the US and Canada, but the BBC says it also applies to UK, to the UK and some European countries as well. So it's worth everyone checking if you've got an Amazon Basics branded mobile power uh, battery pack. Um, that's because a notice posted on the US Consumer Product Safety Commission's website warns that the packs could overheat and ignite posing fire and burn hazards. Amazon apparently has had about 50 complaints uh, and one report of a user suffering chemical burns after coming in contact with battery acid. Now, not good. No, not good. And Amazon has done the right thing in recalling this. And we should we should point out that everyone who's worried should um, should check. There's a link on our on our website in the show notes or at uh, in the BBC story that we linked to that's, uh, that allows you to check whether you've got an affected model. But the bad news with batteries just keeps coming. I mean, on the one hand, we've got people talking about how battery-powered cars and electric vehicles are the next big thing and that everyone should be excited about and moving on to and on the other hand we've got you know samsung galaxy note 7s exploding on planes and and you know battery packs leaking battery acid onto their owners this doesn't bode well for batteries does it pand it doesn't really no i think but if (sighs) the problem is is that what we found so far is that companies are trying to fast charge their batteries too quickly that was a big issue with the note 7 is they're trying to put too much power too quickly into them and without having the same rigorous safety checks. Um, And that is potentially concerning when you're talking about electric cars, because obviously one of the big um, issues of electric uh, car ownership is the amount of time it takes to recharge. Obviously, if you want to refill your car with petrol, it takes maybe a minute um, uh, with the, with the nozzle um, straight into the car. But for, um, for an electric car, um, certainly a large one, uh, if you're not on a dedicated supercharger, it could take many hours. And so there's a lot of demand there for extremely fast charging. And when you're talking about batteries that size, potentially bursting into flames when you're cocooned within them, uh, yes, is a very worrying thought. Um, so there does need to be a lot of care and attention uh, given to these things, which is already happening of course that that is that is that is uh, hopefully even more risk assessment is going on because the the company that this happens to the first car that bursts into flame purely because of battery overheating and and kills a passenger is going to have a very very terrible pr time so the hope is that they will not want that to happen um and that these these checks are going to take um uh, are going to take place but we are just having more and more stories um of these things happening and there does seem to be different reasons behind the fires behind the risks um for each one so it's it's difficult to know what to do yeah i mean i i asked the question about what you know whether this is essentially whether this makes batteries as a concept 
less attractive to be used. But I really don't think we should be fearing them because, number one, these sorts of defects are extremely rare. I mean, I think the CPSC that reported this floor in the US said something like about a quarter of a million of these units had been sold in the US alone. But Amazon had received 50 complaints of problems. And in terms of, you know, pure percentages, that is such a fraction of 1% that it's it's almost not worth commenting yeah. on at all. But obviously, when one person gets chemical burns, it's going to hit the papers and it's going to rightly justify a recall. But Absolutely. That's if it's a case of a defect. But I believe with the Note 7 issue, the argument was that it was actually... Um, it was a design flaw, like the the way that the, the battery was not given any room to breathe, basically as it as it fast charges, um, which could um, which could cause uh, um, a pressurization and therefore the um, the explosion. Um, th- there were differing reports around that, but but um, certainly I think uh, it was not necessarily that it was an individual defect, but a more widespread flaw with the design. Hence the full recall of that entire series. Yeah. Um maybe you could tell us what people should do if they if if their battery appears to be, you know, exploding. Uh well, if it's currently in the act of exploding, then that's um uh, different altogether, but if you suspect that it's getting um overly hot, um if you have any other problems or certainly if you smell um anything um around it that could um suggest maybe something internal funk is going on um immediately unplug it from 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 the power source or if or if you're using it to uh, like an external battery to recharge your phone unplug it from your phone take out any any wires um and um ba- and put it somewhere non-flammable ideally maybe outside um, do not throw it into a bucket of water um uh, but just sort of remove it from anywhere where it could cause a problem but the the the, the main thing to do is of course removing the power source from it because that is will be what uh, is causing um, that issue yeah good advice uh, and there's plenty of advice online if you google what to do when a battery explodes i just did it and um, there's quite a few answers but if you've got an inventive one let us know that as well hello at techpodcast.uk Well, let's just jump quickly into the mailbag. Um, Before I went to Japan, we did discuss how the spires of English churches were being used to help extend broadband coverage in rural areas. And I asked how else churches around the world might have been embracing technology. Jacob wrote in as one of our regular listeners and patrons to explain how his parish in the US is adopting tech, which is really interesting. And I've I've cut down the email a little bit because it was quite long. Uh, But Jacob says the primary primary way that we use tech in my setting is streaming our entire service on facebook live we have three or four folks who use it regularly because they're homebound or otherwise unable to attend now we've also had a few folks who have used it on occasions when they've been out of town one member had a meeting out of state and was overjoyed that he was able to watch his children in the christmas play while waiting for a flight in an airport Facebook Live initially began as a mobile-only venture, so we had used my phone since we began, but I've been pushing for us to switch to a computer with a mounted camera so we can take advantage of our sound system. The quality for the phone is certainly passable, but it's nowhere near the audio or video quality that it could have with a more permanent setup. We've also started to experiment with some targeted advertising on Facebook. They provided us with $30 of credit to try it out, and we saw a significant improvement over our organic impressions. We've only just begun, so it's difficult to say what sort of an impact this might have uh, or if it will translate to new folks joining us. This is something we'll continue to experiment with. And then Jacob included three examples here of things that he's learnt uh, 
so far in case anyone else is uh, looking to try something similar he says one we had to update our music licensing to cover live streaming most of our music is public domain or covered by a standard license but our choir and paid musicians typically use new ish music that we were told we could be t- potentially liable for litigation without the, pro- the appropriate license uh, he also says it can be surprising where you find an audience what surprised me most is that we have several folks who watch our service from Costa Rica there are two explanations for this we may well have actual people in costa rica watching our service or we could have a clever parishioner who routes their traffic through a vpn using a costa rican ip address um, he also said that for now live streaming works best over mobile instead of wi-fi um, but he reckons with a hardwired connection that'll probably be more stable in the long run mm. really interesting stuff you know i'm not a, a churchgoer and neither is andy but um, i'm speaking on his behalf i know this <laughs> because he's my brother um but i i am fascinated by all the way that you know such a very old and very traditional um i want to say community but i mean the church in general um how it's adopting uh new technology and adapting to to modern opportunities uh, absolutely so have- and some of the some of those things as well that um that that were mentioned um sound similar to the things that um uh, i know you've talked extensively about on the show with um sort of the the 21st century classroom um in ways that people need to come together uh, to uh, to learn and discuss whether that's maths english and science or the word of jesus christ um but the concept is the same people need to come together so that technology is helping sort of both groups of people in very similar ways yeah and we've we, as you say we've we've had some great discussions about that around the the importance of people being present in a classroom as opposed to just distance learning and and learning via video conference and Skype and things like that. So I I agree. Well, thanks very much, Jacob, for writing in with uh, such a interesting response to the the question. Um, let's check in with another American, our good friend Tom Merritt over at Daily Tech News Show. Tom, what's been going on in the wide world of tech this week? This week on Daily Tech News Show, we follow the saga of Broadcom, Qualcomm, briefly Intel, and then the U.S. government ends the whole thing. Talk about why IKEA is beginning assembly service in the U.S., discuss YouTube's moderation policies, talk about whether a decentralized web, a.k.a. Web 3.0, is on the horizon, and decide if we want our brains preserved for later upload, especially since they have to kill you to do it. All that and much, much more living stuff at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. Andy, this is your point. This is your moment. You've been waiting for this for the last half an hour. Tell everyone where they can find you online. What should they be looking out for from you this week? Oh, so exciting. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram with at BatteryHQ. And, of course, keep your eye on CNET.com for the tech news that we do. Um, I've got a few um, really cool things coming up. Uh, last week, I spent four days driving a uh, very nice McLaren supercar back through the Swiss Alps with a Galaxy S9 Plus in my hand to do a side-by-side road test. Um, that's turning into one hell of a feature, actually. So um, it's taking a little bit of time to get up. But uh, do keep your eye on um, probably my social channels if you're at all interested in superphones or supercars or both. I do hope you put the phone down while you were driving that McLaren. I can say with all honesty that I was uh, I obeyed all the laws about driving and using phones, which made things extremely difficult when I had to set up a phone on a tripod in the car when I'm pulled over in a lay-by, set it recording, and then drive for about 40 minutes until I get to the next lay-by, which means I've got lots and lots of extremely long video files where I may only want about six seconds from each, um, or a little bit of um, 
uh, sort of speaking to camera that I might want to use, um, but trying to actually dig that out of these huge files um, is proving so far to be a horrible, horrible task. I think that's it, Andy. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, and thank you, everyone, to listening for listening and for supporting us at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Hopefully we'll have Ian back in his usual nest next week. And until then, we will continue to exist, as will hopefully you all. Toodle pip. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.